Let's turn to 1 Peter. I couldn't believe it as I was preparing for this morning. I looked back and I realized it's been about a month since we've been in 1 Peter. Because we had Palm Sunday, Easter, or Resurrection Day, and then I've been gone the last two Sundays. So it's been a month uh, since we were in 1 Peter. But we'll get back into that today, still in chapter 1. I'm going to read up to verse 7 because that's what we've covered so far. Verse, well, we'll read verses 3 through 6 of 1 Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. And we will pick it up in verse 7. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you bless this time in your word this morning. We ask you to speak to our hearts. And Lord, just expand our horizons, our depth of understanding of your word, of your impact. History, Lord, is really your story, his story. And so it's important that we know and understand these things so that our worldview will truly be a biblical worldview and not a worldly worldview. We ask you to bless the study now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to pick it up in verse 7. Peter says in verse 6, Though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. And we talked about that, that... um, The trials that we do experience in this life as believers are necessary for our strengthening, for our growth, for the testing of our faith. And that's where we pick it up here in verse 7, that the genuineness of your faith may be found to praise, honor, and glory of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, I would suggest strongly that life, death, and eternity hinge on the genuineness of your faith, of my faith. Would you agree? Life, death, and eternity hinge on the genuineness of our faith. We need to possess a genuine faith, a true faith. And the very fact that Peter mentions this indicates that it's possible to have a faith that is not genuine. I think we all know here this morning the difference between religion and relationship. And I would argue that in many cases, those who were complicit in the Jewish Holocaust of World War II were probably more religious than they were Christian. And sadly, down through history, the ongoing persecution of God's people over the last 2,000 years has been largely at the hands of of religious people, but it's been under the banner of Christianity, and therefore Jews, for 2,000 years, were afraid of the Christians. But now, because of the efforts of evangelicals, so many different groups that have reached out to the Jews and shown them love, they're now beginning to realize that the true Christian community, hence Christian friends of Yad Vashem, 
Who would have thought, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago that a Jewish Holocaust institution would be hosting a Christian leadership conference? But they've now beginning to understand and to realize that we do love them. We are their friends. I ran into a guy at a rental car place in Jerusalem, a Jewish guy from America who made Aliyah, which means he immigrated, returned to the homeland a couple of years ago. And he just happened to be in this Avis office when I was there. And uh, he was helping me out because the guys there were not real fluent in English, and he was. And so he kind of mediated for me. But he um, asked me what I was doing there. And when I told him, he said, I want to thank you so much. We really appreciate all that Christians are doing for Israel. Totally unsolicited comment. And he was very sincere about it. And so we have Avi Lipkin coming on a regular basis and sharing with us. And we see so much more interaction. And after 2,000 years, I believe it's just another sign that we are nearing the return of Christ. We see more and more Jewish people coming to Christ every day. There is a growing Messianic movement within Israel. Uh, The last night I was there, I had the privilege of attending a home prayer group, men and women uh, from... uh, Poria, which is just outside of Tiberias. Uh, they attend a Messianic church there called Peniel. And we had a prayer meeting together. And just wonderful to hear these. Uh, they weren't all Jewish, but several were. The man who hosted the prayer meeting was a Messianic believer of many, many years. And um, just wonderful to be able to be there with them. But God is moving. And one of the signs, there are many, but one of the signs is we're beginning to see a reconciliation between the Christian community and the Jewish community. And that's another thing that God is doing in order to bring His people to their Messiah. But a genuine faith is absolutely essential. Not a seeker-friendly, emergent, purpose-driven, social justice faith. A genuine New Testament faith as laid down in the gospel by the writers of the New Testament. The Apostles' Doctrine, it's called, in Acts chapter 4. I would say that making sure that you're in possession of a genuine faith is the highest of all priorities to confirm that it truly is genuine. Noah Webster defines genuine as real, natural, true, Pure, not spurious, false, or adulterated. And I would propose to you today that much of what is passed off as Christianity is actually adulterated. It's not genuine. Peter tells us that a genuine faith is much more precious than gold that perishes. Now, what is the primary motivator in this world? Gold, money, right? Mammon. Gold is one of the most precious commodities that the world has to offer. And yet Peter says that our genuine faith, our salvation, is more precious than gold. And sadly, most people are in pursuit of gold rather than a genuine faith. What's the difference? Our salvation is eternal. Our salvation has to do with eternity. Gold is temporary. Our salvation is internal. 
It takes place when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us and we're born again by the Spirit of God. It's internal. Unfortunately, many times people look at the external. The Bible says man looks at the outward, God looks at the inward. Our salvation's internal. Gold is external. And then Peter uses the analogy of the way that gold is purified. He says, though it is tested by fire. Again, gold, we know, is purified by fire. It is, it is brought to a high temperature where it is liquefied. Then the impurities rise to the surface. They are skimmed off. And that's done repeatedly until you have 100% pure gold. And that's where it achieves its value. It's when it's absolutely pure there's nothing else mixed in. And so he, he likens our faith. He just finished speaking in the previous verse about the trials if need be. And by the way, they do need be. In order to purify us, to strengthen us, to test our faith, to prove that it actually is genuine. Sadly, many times when people who profess to be believers come under fire, the faith fades. When the testing comes, the genuineness is not there. Many have turned away. Just as in the, when Christ was here on the earth, and we saw that towards the end of his ministry, we read in the Gospels that many turned away and followed him no more. So much so that he turned to the twelve and he said, are you going to leave me too? That's how huge the turning away was. Of course, there was a bit of a revival when he raised Lazarus from the dead. But many were turning away. The same is true today. We've talked several times recently, and I want, actually this gives me an opportunity to clarify something. I mentioned a couple times over the last several weeks that I struggle with the idea that people get mad at God when somebody dies, seeing as how everybody's going to die. Nobody wants to die. But the fact of the matter is it's appointed for man once to die and then the judgment, right? Now, barring the rapture of the church, which is coming, and we could many here today, if not all, could be part of that rapture, but barring the rapture of the church, everyone in this room is going to die physically. The good news is Jesus said, though he were dead, yet shall he live. In Christ, we have the promise of eternal life. But I want to clarify something. I... Perhaps people might have the impression that I have no compassion, no understanding. That, and I, please understand me. I know that it's a serious thing when someone dies. I still remember vividly at five years of age when my mother's father, my maternal grandfather died. That was probably my first big brush with death. And I've shared my testimony many times that both of my parents died before I reach the age of 18. I don't want you to think that I have no compassion or understanding. I understand the grief related to death, but there's a difference between grief and anger. It makes all the sense in the world to grieve. I would say if we don't grieve, something's wrong with us. But at the same time, how can we be angry with God for something happening that we know happens to everybody sooner or later? And it's not His fault. It's a result of sin. It's a result of the disobedience of man, the fall of mankind when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and sinned. We can't blame God. 
God is all about life. You've heard me say this many times. I, just to boil it down to a very simple formula, how can you tell who's on God's side and who's on the devil's side? God is the God of life. He's all about life. He's the giver of life. He created life. He breathed into man the breath of life, the spirit of man. He's not willing that any should perish. And so those who are on God's side are always about life. Those who are on the devil's side are all about death. Whether it be the extermination of the Jews, the extermination of the Christians, the extermination of the unborn. Anybody who's in that camp is not with God. Get it? I might have shared this with you recently. I don't remember, but if you think I'm bold, how many of you know who Raul Reese is? I've always had great admiration and respect for Raul, and I met him in the early 70s. We were singing at a college campus in Southern California, and uh, we'd never met him before, but he was sent out to be the speaker, and we were sent out to be the music. What you do is you play the music to draw the crowd, and then you preach. That's how we did it. And so later on, we did a concert at his karate studio, which is where his church started, because he was a martial arts expert. But I heard recently through the grapevine that Raul got up on a Sunday morning and told the congregation, if you believe in killing babies, don't come here anymore. So if you think I'm bold, go hang out with Raul for a while. That man is bold. And because of his martial arts training, you really don't want to argue with him. Tested by fire, like gold. See, Peter says that our faith, our genuine faith, is more precious than gold. And like gold, our faith is tested and purified by fire. Fiery trials. Anyone can claim Christ when things are going great, right? It's kind of like the person who says, I love you, when things are going well. But when things aren't going so well, I don't love you anymore. I'm leaving. See, that was never real love to begin with, was it? Because real love is not a feeling. It's a commitment. It's not based upon your feelings at the moment. Same could be said of our faith. Because a genuine faith really is a commitment. It's a love for God. We love Him because He first loved us. And it's not based upon how much you perceive God is blessing you on any given day. Well, I used to love God. But then my husband died. My wife died. My son died. My daughter died. My friend died. Now I don't love him anymore. Really? Then you never really did. I used to love God till I got cancer or had a heart attack or got diabetes. Now I don't love him anymore because he let me get sick. You never really loved him to begin with. Remember Job? Very few could lay claim to suffering on the level that Job suffered. And what did he say? Though he slay me. And... God allowed the devil to test Job in about every way imaginable. The only thing that God did not allow was for the devil to take Job's life. And Job said, 
Even if he does that, even if he kills me, yet will I praise him. See, Job loved God, didn't he? Certainly there are things that happen in our lives that disappoint us, frustrate us, concern us. But our love for God is not about our circumstances. It's about a genuine faith, more precious than gold, that will carry us on into eternity. Though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory. And see, this is where the rubber really meets the road because it's very difficult for us human beings to get past the idea that everything is all about us, all about me. Wow, God sent His only Son to die on the cross for me. I must be pretty cool. I must be pretty special. No, you're not. God sent His only Son to die on the cross for you because you're anything but. You are a vile, wretched sinner, and so am I. That's what makes God's love so amazing. The praise, honor, and glory is all about God. The ultimate purpose of our salvation is to bring praise, honor, and glory to God. Ephesians 1.5 Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, the Father, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He has made us accepted in the Beloved. Verse 11 of Ephesians 1, In Him also we have obtained an inheritance. That inheritance is an eternal inheritance which we will receive when we see Him face to face. Being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. Hence, the phrase, which I think I crafted, I don't know, I don't remember hearing it anywhere else, but I think I've heard it since then. It's all about Him, it's all because of Him, and it's all for Him. That's what often skews our perspective as we forget that. It's not about us. God is our Father. He's graciously given us the gift of life. Not only life here and now, but life eternal if we will embrace Him, if we will embrace His Son, Jesus Christ. But He's the Creator. The omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent One. And it's ultimately all about Him. We're just blessed to be a part of it. May be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Speaking of his return. Genuine faith, folks, this is so important. Yeah, I used to be pretty active in church. I used to be pretty religious, pretty spiritual. I don't know, not so much anymore, but I still love the Lord, you know. Genuine faith will endure until Jesus returns. It's a sad thing. I've met people through the years. Not often, but repeatedly, that can't get involved in any local body of believers because none of them are ever good enough. No one's ever right enough, doctrinally sound enough, spiritual enough. Have you ever met anybody like that? 
And they just continue to float around and wander. A genuine faith, I believe, not only means adhering faithfully to the truth of God's Word from cover to cover, beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation. It also involves being a part of the body of Christ, the church of God, the fellowship of the saints. That was one of the four things in Acts chapter 4 that the early believers were dedicated to. The apostles' doctrine, prayer, the breaking of bread, communion, and the fellowship. I've heard it said, I love God, it's His kids I can't stand. But that's part of being a family. Again, love is a commitment. Love is hanging out with people, sometimes even though you don't like them. The Bible doesn't say uh, like one another because God is love. It says love one another. And when you love them, you'll learn to like them. But you can't be all that God wants you to be without being part of a local body of believers because this is your family. Hopefully you have biological family members that are believers and you will get to spend eternity with them. But even if you don't, this is your family. And since we'll be spending eternity together, we might as well start learning to like one another here and now. Mark thirteen thirteen, You shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. Oh, that's exciting. That's a rough verse for the positive confession crowd. That's a rough verse for the seeker-friendly crowd. Directly from the mouth of Jesus. Come follow me because everybody's going to hate you. Who wants to sign up? We came up with a joke back when we were down on Oh gosh, I think it was Hazeldine there by the Milne Stadium 20 years ago. I think we were studying the book of James at the time. But we came up with the phrase, we thought, let's put this banner up on the outside of the church and see who comes. Come suffer with us at Calvary Chapel East. (laughs) We never put the banner up. But you get the idea. But he that shall endure unto the end. So part of enduring is being able to handle the fact that if you really let your light shine for Jesus Christ, if people really see Jesus in you and you really speak the truth in love, they're going to hate you. It's like that old expression, if you were arrested for being Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Is there enough of Jesus shining forth from your life that there are some people who actually hate you for it. Not that we go out seeking that. We don't want to be hated. Nobody wants to be hated. We all want to be liked, if not loved. But the fact of the matter is, if you have a genuine faith, there will be people who hate you because of it. But he that endures, he who doesn't give up, who doesn't back down, who says, I can't take it anymore. I'm tired of being hated. I want people to like me. Can't I have it both ways? No. Again, if you want people to like you, plug into a local body of believers where other people 
know and believe the same things that you do because there you will find love. Right, Nick? We were teasing around before church about that subject. The same shall be saved. You see, a genuine faith is a faith that endures through all the ups and downs of life. The good times, the bad times, or in the words of the famous Spaghetti Western with Clint Eastwood, the good, the bad, and the ugly. A genuine faith will endure. I have decided to follow Jesus. What's the next line? No turning back. So when someone turns back, we have to ask the question, not in a judgmental way or a condemning way, but in a concerned way, if they've turned back, did they really possess a genuine faith? That's not a nasty question or a bad question. That's a good question. Because we want them to possess a genuine faith that endures to the end, do we not? And it starts with moi, with you, with me, that we must make sure Our faith is a genuine faith. We must allow it to be tested by the various trials that Peter speaks of when need be. I don't know about you guys. I've experienced in my life there are cycles, there are seasons. The Bible talks about the seasons of life. Some seasons are like the winter. Cold, harsh, bitter. You know what I'm talking about? That's the season... You can't wait for it to end. Sometimes it seems like it's never going to end. And then there are other seasons, like the spring. The warmth begins to come. Things begin to blossom and get green. And you take a sigh of relief. And and you you thank God for the, the beautiful weather, the beauty of His creation. And we go through spiritual seasons. We get those... Seasons of relief and reprieve. Boy, enjoy them as much as you can. Because as surely as spring and summer and fall come, winter will come again. And your faith will be tested. You made it through the good times. Now how about the bad times? Verse 8. In reference to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, at the revelation of Jesus Christ, Peter says, Now, we've had an inner revelation by the Spirit of God. We've been blessed that God has made Himself known to us. He has revealed Himself to us, particularly through and in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's what Peter's about to address here. That until that time, at the revelation of Jesus Christ, when we see Him face to face, whom having not seen, you love. Powerful evidence of a genuine faith. How many of you here today love Jesus? That is evidence of a genuine faith because you've not seen Him except in the Spirit, through His Word, but not with your physical eyes. Whom having not seen, you love. Remember the story of Doubting Thomas, John 20, 29. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Remember, Thomas said he wasn't there the first night Jesus appeared. I don't know what he was doing. Off being Thomas somewhere. He said, I don't believe it. The other guy said, we saw the Lord. 
He's risen. I don't believe it. I won't believe it unless I can touch the nail prints in his hand and the wound in his side. Well, guess what? Jesus is so accommodating. Eight days later, he shows up. Thomas is there this time. And he allows Thomas to do just that. Thomas, because you've seen me, you've believed. But guess what, Thomas? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's certainly applicable to all believers down through the centuries. Like Peter says, whom having not seen, you love. And though now you do not see him, yet believing. The world thinks we're crazy. How can you believe in something you haven't seen? And I've said this many times as well. The world says seeing is believing. God says believing is seeing. The same God-given faith, and that's where it came from. Don't think for a moment you came up with it on your own. The same God-given faith that enabled us to believe in Christ for salvation will enable us to keep on believing till he returns. I think that's another place where people get tripped up. Paul uh, scolded the Galatians. One of the churches there in Asia Minor, Galatia. He scolded them because he said, having begun in the Spirit, you're now trying to finish the race, complete the work of God in the flesh. That is a great challenge for us as believers to not do that. We've begun in the Spirit. The Spirit of God made Himself known to us. He revealed to us the truth that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and we were born again by the Spirit of God. All a work of the Spirit, nothing from us. And we must continue on in that understanding that every day, every breath we take, every move we make is a work of God's Spirit in us. And that God-given faith It's not our own strength, our own ability that will carry us to the finish line. It's that same faith that God gave us to believe in the first place that will keep us on believing until He returns. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul writes, We walk by faith, not by sight, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see Him yet believing. 2 Corinthians 4, 18, So we fix our eyes. This is NIV. I like the way they word this. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, and that's where we often get in trouble. We fix our eyes on what is seen, which is only the surface. There are much deeper things that lie beneath the surface. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Jesus, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, God's eternal kingdom, these are all unseen, but this is what we should be fixing our eyes on. Why? For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Though you do not see Him, though now you do not see Him, yet believing, because believing is seeing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Would that that described each one of us every day. You rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. How many of you get out of bed in the morning, you start jumping up and down and praising the Lord? Hallelujah! 
You see, the ability to love and to believe in Jesus without seeing Him, faith imparted to us by the Spirit of God, is cause for rejoicing with joy inexpressible and full of glory. How do you live that kind of a life in Christ? You walk by faith, not by sight. You fix your eyes on that which is unseen. You've got the big picture in your eyeglasses. Eternity. Genuine faith is eternal. Gold, the things of this world, are temporary. Genuine faith is internal. Gold and the things of this world are external. You rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. That's what God has for us. That's what He wants for us. We often fall short. But the more we can get our eyes off of the things of this world and the more we can get our eyes on Him, I can guarantee you the more joyful we will be. Let's pray. Father, we recognize from this passage the absolute ultimate importance of possessing a genuine faith. Lord, not somebody else's faith, which we know oftentimes happens from generation to generation, that people who are raised in the church, raised in a Christian home, raised in a religious home, are brought up with a faith that is not truly theirs. And at some point, each one of us have to come to grips with our own faith, not someone else's faith, not someone else's belief, but our own. We also recognize that a genuine faith can only come from you, Father. There's nothing good within us. We are vile, wretched sinners needing to receive your grace, your mercy, which you freely give to all those who ask. So we pray this morning, Lord, that you would continue to work in us, help us as we go through the various trials and tribulations of this life. We pray that each time these trials come upon us, you would give us the strength we need to endure, to persevere, that that purification process would continue so that our faith might be proved genuine, that we might endure to the end and we might be there to witness firsthand the revelation of Jesus Christ as that Savior which we now believe in, though not seeing, the one that we love, though we have not seen Him, that we will be there for that full revelation and we will hear the wonderful words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my joy. But Lord, we pray in the meantime You'd help us that we could live lives filled with that inexpressible joy that Peter talks about. That we would rejoice daily with joy inexpressible and full of glory by fixing our eyes on that which is not seen, by walking by faith and not by sight, not under circumstances, but out of covenant relationship with you. Father, we pray these closing moments for anyone who needs a special touch from you today, whether it would be salvation Someone here that might need to receive Christ and be born again. Someone needing healing in their physical body. Healing in their heart, their mind, their emotions. Whatever it might be, we ask you to pour out your Holy Spirit now, Lord, and touch each one. 
that we could all leave here today filled with your joy. Bring glory and honor to you wherever we go. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.